Welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classic to help support the show. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today on the Roundtable, we're talking about the Warlock and Bard in D&D Next. Uh, with me today at the Roundtable are Rudy Basso. Hello. Alex Basso. Hey. Joe Lestowski. Well met, adventurers. And Ray Fallon. Hello, ladies. Welcome back to the Roundtable. That's Ray Fallon at Facebook.com slash Golduck, ladies. The ultimate Smallville fan. Uh, Yeah, got it all going on. (laughs) Uh, Today's get-to-know-you question for our panelists is... Wizards is putting out some pretty cool stuff in cooperation with the Hasbro Creo team, which is essentially the Hasbro Legos. Um, and they're also working with WizKids to release some new minis. And we've seen uh, some previews of what these look like. The Creo figures are already out. What are you most excited about? Which specific product from these two lines are you most excited to see? And uh, Rudy, let's start with you. Initially, I was very excited for the Creo figures because Legos, and that's always fun. And there's like a little game apparently with it too, involving cards, and that's neat. But after seeing these WizKids figures, the level of detail on them, granted this is just, uh, I guess, example models. They're not the final images. They're, they're uh, very, very good. I'm, I'm very interested in maybe even purchasing some of them. Uh, I also like that all the females are wearing practical armor, something uh, the fantasy genre seems to forget often, and uh, always something I prefer. Yeah, yeah, I love that little ball of fire it looks like the the sorceress is is holding. That looks pretty awesome. How about you, Alex Basso? Oh, I'm most excited by far for the Creo Fortress Defense Set. It's... uh, Includes a catapult with mini balls that you can uh, try and take down a wall that it also includes with. You know, I need a, a toy that, you know, I can spend some time with on my own and uh, recreate <laughs> my own fantasies of taking down the castle. Uh, the only thing I am worried about is how quickly I will lose those catapult siege balls, which will be hmm. pretty quick. And there'll be a danger when my dog is around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those are those are two very good concerns. But that's true. Playability when you are alone is a big thing that Alex Basso looks for. In his <laughs> <toys. Yep. laughs> Joe, how about you? What are you most excited about? Uh, many good things will come from the uh, the WizKids D and D collaboration. There, I've really enjoyed the Pathfinder minis that they've been putting out. And um, other than the I mean, they're, they're all super detailed. The only issue is that sometimes they've got so many things on them that you're like, what, what warrior would have 57 pouches and a flask and a this and a, you know. Um, but uh, looking at the Creo stuff, I kind of like the, uh, the little Eye of Grumish um, uh, guy that they've got there. Not so much for the Eye of Grumish, although he's pretty cool looking, but uh, there's a little spider guy with, there, um, with him as well. And any chance I get to get more spider miniatures, uh, I'm a big fan of... <laughs> using them um, because whenever whenever my players start 
killing spiders. Eventually, they end up going up against the spider queen. And um, I have a pet tarantula, and I always bring her out to be the spider queen. Um, oh you know, in, <laughs> never, in a play with size comparison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I can get more spider minis, I'm a fan of that. Wow. Everybody look under your chair for the monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it seems we've lost the spider queen. <laughs> That is, uh, I uh, am an admitted arachnophobe, and uh, that terrifies me. Uh, (laughs) If we ever play a game, it will be over a virtual table, Joe. (laughs) Uh Awesome. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that spider is really cool looking, and it looks like the Eye of Grumsh also has a a treasure chest with teeth, perhaps suggesting a mimic. Ooh. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The Eye of Grumsh has a lot of really cool stuff going on with it. Ray Fallon, what are you most excited for? Uh, I will say what I am not excited for, which is the Creo, the little Lego guys. Uh, something about Lego just kind of takes me out of the D&D world and puts me firmly in a Lego-only world. Uh, but thankfully, these WizKid minis do look great. Uh, you can look at the hair alone of each character, and it's just beautiful and detailed. Uh, and, I mean, the same goes for every other piece of the character but yeah they look great i will be happy to play with them it's funny you say legos take you out so if someone were to use legos as minis at a table you wouldn't because that is a practice i see a lot and i'm like oh that's awesome that's a great idea you know what i feel like i would get used to it if uh you know if it was done often but certainly the first few times i would you know grown to myself in my brain that is an interesting perspective legos take you out of the fantasy realm (laughs) yeah you're saying that with regards to legos everything is not awesome uh no no everything's awesome but uh how do i phrase this it's awesome in a different world you know what i mean i gotcha Uh, things shouldn't be awesome in the D &D world it should be brutal and you should be fighting for your rations (laughs) somebody's played too much dark sun (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I have to say, I'm actually pretty pumped that uh, that they're putting out a Wolfgar uh, Creon here oh. with the Creo set. Um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of hammers, and I think his hammer looks pretty awesome. And and I'm a big Wolfgar fan. I think he uh, I think he loses respect out to his buddy Drist a lot. But you know, Wolfgar all the way, man. He's he's true to his barbarian roots all the time. But let's get on with the meat of the show here, gentlemen. We're going to talk about two articles Mike Merles put out and a D&D Q&A related to one of them. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is The Warlock. And Mike Merles put out a Legends and Lore article titled Warlock Update. And that came out on the 3rd of March. Uh, and then that Friday, they followed it up with a D&D Q&A on the 7th of March. A long time ago, there was a Warlock that came out in one of the earlier playtest packets, uh, had a lot of at-will and encounter spells, and the Warlock was required to give up something to their patron every time they used one of their powers. The sample build that was given was to a fey being that uh, was very vain. So you had to give up a small piece of your beauty and get a scar or, or a weird-looking mole or something every time you, you cast a spell. So you would slowly get uglier because your patron was a jealous fey being. It looks like some of those mechanical aspects, at least, are still part of the sorcerer... or I'm sorry, part of the warlock's design. But uh, there's also some more information being brought to light. 
He talks about different packs that are going to be within there, um, how you pick a being to make a pact with. So probably Devil, Fey, maybe the Star Pact from Fury will be back. There were a lot of nice packs that came out in supplements in 4th edition. And then you also pick the type of pact, which can be either the Blade um, which gives your warlock some melee interesting powers, the chain, which allows your warlock some interesting summoning powers, or the tome, which enhances your warlock's arcane, sort of ranged, lasery nature, it seems like. So it does seem like this will be one of the perhaps more customizable uh, options, because not only do you pick a uh, overall being to make a pact with, you pick the type of pact as well that you're making with the being. But uh, he goes on to say some other stuff uh, that we're going to get covered in all of these comments, I'm sure. For instance, that the warlock will have the fighting ability akin to a cleric or rogue, um, which, depending on how you take that statement, uh, makes no sense because they <laughs> do not fight anything like one another or it means that, hey, they're going to be a little bit better than the wizard and sorcerer the way a cleric and rogue would be, uh, mm. which I guess is what he's trying to say. A lot of the language is vague, as these articles have tended to be, so a lot of what we're going to say is open to interpretation and speculation. Why don't we start with Joe? Give us your opinions here about this Warlock article. Well, um, I do like the customizability. I like the idea that you've got... Um you know, the Pact of the Blade, which is kind of like the 4E Hex Blade, where you've got everything's focused on your weapon. I like the idea that they're bringing more of a binder idea in there with the Pact of the Chain. Um, the Tome Pact feels like it's going to be a wannabe sorcerer. Or, you know, it's like, well, you want raw magical output. And I guess that's okay to give that as an option for the Warlocks uh, as well. So you can have multiple, you know, missile platforms uh, playing different classes. Um, I'm... I'm more troubled by the, the on par with clerics and rogues uh, comment because uh, I just don't, I, I don't know what it means. I mean, I, I get, okay, maybe they'll have a hit die that's better than the wizard, or maybe they'll, they'll have slightly better attack things than the wizard does in melee combat. But it, it feels like clerics and rogues are so vastly different from one another, let alone from what the warlock is, that a statement like that feels like, they don't know what they're balancing it against, or they don't know what balance means. And that bothers me, knowing that they have claimed that all of the uh, numerical balancing will be done now that the, the public playtest period is over. And if that's what their idea of balance is, that, that kind of scares me a little. Um, I'm still eager to see what the final class looks like, but uh, I'm, I'm cautiously um, scared <laughs> about what that, what that might mean. I am a little concerned that it may be a little overpowered, the Warlock. Judging from all of the articles they talk about, the Warlock is going to have powers that recharge quite a bit. Um, and in addition to having some... Obviously, what they're trying to say here is the fighting capability will at least be good. You know, it is very yeah. vague, I agree. And we don't know how that's going to end up, but... but I, does seem clear that they're trying to say they will be capable in close quarters combat. You know, I think they have to be more than capable because if you if you look at the article, one of the things they're saying is uh, they're going to have very few spell slots a day, which I think sounds like a potentially cool idea because they're all going to be basically max level spells. It's going to be whatever spell level your warlock level is. Uh, but it sounds like one of those problems where you know you run out of spells and then you're just stuck in normal combat 
uh, or hand-to-hand combat or uh, melee combat, that's what they call it, uh, for the rest of the fight. So hopefully they have some interesting uh, melee capabilities so it's not boring as soon as you run out of spells. Yeah, my reaction initially was the same as yours, James, that they seem overpowered just by reading this. They're they're more durable than the Wizard or the Sorcerer on par with, again, as you're pointing out, Cleric or Rogue, which can mean a lot of things. Um, they have spells. Granted, they don't have a lot of spells, but I assume that means that they'll hit a little bit harder than the Wizards, perhaps. And Ray, while, yes, they're they're in trouble when they run out, it's just a short rest, is said in the Q&A. We'll give them all their spells back, which is unlike the Wizard or the Sorcerer. Um, but short rests seem so different now than they were in That's true, it's an hour long. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's still seven less hours than a long rest. But anytime um, you're in a situation where you're a little bit crunched for time, it can feel like you really are doing three or four battles in a row without any kind of rest. I, I, I don't know. I still think that in, in, in a given uh, an eight-hour time frame, it's you taking night into account and things like that. There are times during mm-hmm. the day where you can take an hour rest and yeah. still uh, have another fight, and your wizard will be left without anything. Also, the the invocation things using spells as rituals makes me think that some of these spells might be buffs that you can use beforehand. Uh, you can choose the option to be good with a melee weapon, but you still have all your spells. You can have uh, I don't know. It feels like they're stretching themselves thin, perhaps in terms of of all the different things that this character can do. I think I think that's a great point. Is this thing going to have so many abilities that you know when they look to balance it, there none of them are powerful, and they're all kind of watered down. Uh, I, I think that's a that's an interesting point to raise here. Is what is what is going to happen? I do think the hour long rest uh, does make a big difference. I have to agree with Ray, um, particularly because last night Ray and I were playing a game together. And time was of the essence. There were some hostages that needed to be rescued. And you guys went through three big encounters, one right after the next, and didn't stop to rest to recharge any of your sort of encounter-like abilities. So, Which might make the Warlock interesting in that his style will, or, you know, how he is will really vary with the style of play that you have. Whereas the other characters might not vary that much from day to day. Um, well, I was wondering, what do you guys think? Do you think it will affect sort of uh, friendship or, or the, the smoothness of running a game at the table if you've got one person playing a wizard, one person playing a warlock in terms of the way this sort of time resource management works? I mean, if you've got a party of all warlocks, then yeah, it's great if we all wait for an hour. But if you've got some people that want to wait for an hour, other people that want to move on, do you think that's going to create more chaos and more difficulties uh, at the table? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. Um, I think one of the reasons why we don't really take many short rests is there's very few classes that really benefit from it mm-hmm. right now. So if we had a warlock in our in our party, I feel like he'd be trying to get that extra time between battles as, as much as possible. You know, right now I know the wizards and druids, I think they can get a couple spells back, and fighters might get some things. But, you know, a warlock, if they completely depend on it, they're going to be clamoring for that, that short rest. Well, we but they might not be if they go the blade pact. You know I, mean? I mean, we don't know specifically. You yeah. know, I'm sure every warlock pact is going to have some sort of... You know, one thing, it really just reads to me like a, like a fourth ed class. You know, they have their encounter powers, they have their dailies, and then they have their, uh, their yeah. wills. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think they are trying to put some 
classes perhaps well maybe the warlock is the only one that that has that clear a foury sort of flavor to it in that respect but i think they are trying to do that because they are trying to please everyone but will that create a problem at the table is is a great question as far as time resource management goes especially you know druids if you're a circle of the land druid and therefore more spellcasting focused you're probably going to take your rests more... You're going to care about your big extended rests more often. But if you're a Circle of the Moon Druid and you want to get those wild shape uses, you care about the short rests more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that is going to be interesting to see how that plays out at the table because it's not going to be just the Warlock. Like Alex mm-hmm. said, it's it's certain abilities of other classes depending on your subclass and your build and that kind of thing. Uh, what might happen is it might have a cool effect like it kind of did for us last night, James, where uh, if not everyone wants the short rests, like I did because I needed a heal uh, or with hit dice, but it might end up that whatever makes the most sense role-playing-wise is what's going to usually win out uh, because that's where your argument's going to be most of the time. In character, I should say, your argument is going to be what the actual situation is and not, oh, I need to get my uh, my encounter back or like At that. the same time, though, I think that that might make the player of the warlock character feel a little handicapped if nobody else in uh, mechanically handicapped. I mean, mm-hmm. um, in in that, you know, sure, role playing wise, it makes sense that we'll open the door and go to the next room. But mechanically, I know my character is more likely to die now because he doesn't have those powers back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, and I did want to say, if you're talking about uh, comparing the classes now to what they were in fourth ed. The sorcerer to me looks a lot like the fourth ed psionics, the way that they have the point system. So that oh, might yeah. be another thing yeah. of trying to yeah. kind of model after that. Perhaps maybe Wizards is trying to this may be giving them too much credit. But perhaps Wizards is seeing that time resource thing being a problem, and that's why they're giving the warlock some extra capabilities and some daily spells and some at will stuff, because they yeah. know that those short rests are fewer and further between than they are in 4th edition. And maybe that's why we're saying, wow, this is a lot for somebody to have. But it's because they're supposed to be using all of those resources very quickly. I don't know. Right. So we're kind of thinking from a 4th ed perspective and not from a next perspective? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, like I said, that may be giving wizards <laughs> too much credit uh, thinking ahead <laughs> like that. You know, it seems like the daily powers uh, for the Warlock start kicking in uh, in the second half of the Warlock's career. Uh, They say 11 plus. Um, Does this make you guys excited uh, that we're going to see some bigger and bolder abilities from these classes as they go forward? Uh, Is that what you guys like to see? Like, boom, the second half, now everything's changed because I have some different mechanics. Uh, I don't think necessarily. To me, it seems like warlocks should be the most uh, powerful people from the start. Because even the kind of the way you were saying before, James, the way they described the ability as circumventing normal spellcasting, uh, it's almost like they cheat to get their power. So from the beginning, I feel like they should be overpowered because they made that initial pact uh, or, you know, or bound their soul to this person or whatever. Uh, so it's not to say I don't want them to have cool, powerful stuff at very high levels. Uh, but I don't see, flavor-wise, why it should suddenly kick in at a certain point. 
Yeah, I think it's a very old school mentality to have classes that are weak initially and then they get stronger later on. I think that scares off a lot of new players and it doesn't really appeal to me at all. Yeah, it'd be neat knowing down the line, all right, once I hit 11, I'm going to really kick ass. But getting through those 10 levels might be kind of boring and not very fun. So I don't think I'm really on board with that. Uh, I mean, I disagree because... You know, by putting those one-time daily use powers towards, you know, the end of a class, that pretty much proves that, you know, the core mechanics are going to be early. The stuff you need to rely on is going to be in that first 10 levels. And then afterwards, when you've got your playstyle down, when you know how to use your character, then you get these sweet daily abilities that can maybe turn a whole fight. So it's something to look forward to once you kind of, you know, understand your character and know what you're doing in every battle. I actually kind of like the idea of getting dailies later only because of this deal mechanic with the with the patron there. Um, it kind of like the the way they've described warlocks, they feel kind of like um, like like hucksters in Deadland, or like the, like you're making you're making these deals, you're making these bargains with these devils, and the more you do it, the 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 more you're going to want to make bigger deals with them, and by the time you know, the the devil or whatever sees, hey, this guy's really useful. Look, he's survived to 10th level. He's done all this. I'm going to let him summon a pit fiend now once a day. Or I'm going to let, you know, like something Whoa. something really cool that would just be like, you get to keep using your, your awesome powers that you're, you're used to the mechanic for, but you also get extra, you know, extra benefits from your patron that may mean you have completely sold your soul. But look, you get extra cool powers. And I like that from a story point of view. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, almost like you've proved your worth to this higher power you've made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I really like that idea, especially if it's more of a uh, you're trying to get out of the pack, but you keep digging yourself further in. Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. So if if that's, you know, if they do have a cool flavoring explanation for it, then I am all on board. And I think that's the biggest thing with Warlock for me is it is a very cool class conceptually. Uh, Not in this edition or any particular edition, but just the idea of them, I think, is very cool. Uh, so one of the things that I'm most interested in, in which we almost have no idea right now, is what their actual spells will look like. Uh, so hopefully they'll have very interesting spells, uh, unlike anything we see in the other classes. Uh, and if they do, then I think that it has the potential to be a very fun class to play. Absolutely, and I agree with your point. I think they're probably, of the classes we've seen, the most story-driven class, you know, at least specifically story-driven in the sense that the reason for their powers is directly tied to a backstory. Right, right. Whereas everybody else is very broad, you know, a cleric, a rogue, even a even somebody like a sorcerer who has some sort of heritage uh, tied to what gives them their magic still has a broader background than the warlock. A part of me kind of wants to see, instead of waiting for them to come out with like an invoker or like a divine striker, I kind of want to see the ability to make pacts with with either neutral or evil gods as well. You know, like if the Spider Queen had a pact and all of your powers, you know, and eventually you're selling your soul to her, but you get to shoot spiders at people's faces, <laughs> that would be kind of, you know, I mean, what you'd be a pretty a pretty badass guy then. I wouldn't want to mess with me if I could shoot spiders at people's faces. You Guess know? who has the pet tarantula, guys? <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe, none of us want to mess with you, okay, man? <laughs> I hope the Hexblade is awesome, because that is what I want to play. <laughs> ah, 
yes, I definitely want to see. I need that melee spellcaster. Ah, uh, yeah. so don't disappoint me. <laughs> yeah, but the melee spellcaster who's cursing people specifically—that's what I want to see. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I want to see the chain thing. I want to see a summoner done right. Yeah, I, I want whatever the chain pact is. I want it to be a mechanic that feels appropriate, that makes sense. That's like, okay, I've got this cool other creature I've summoned, but it's not like my other character is completely useless now. But I don't want to let him just go off and do his own thing as a separate character either. Like, I want there to be some sort of a, a tie between them, but I want it to be a mechanic that 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 works. And and obviously, you want all the mechanics to work. But but specifically with summoners. I just I, I have yet to see a summoning mechanic that I've been really happy with in any role playing game, and so I wanna I want that. Rudy. Yeah, I hope it doesn't slow combat down too to summon another creature and have it on the battlefield. I feel right. like that's always a concern when there are pets involved. If it's usually the kind of mechanic where you're totally giving up your turn to give the pet a turn, though, I feel like it should be pretty smooth. The warlock is supposed to be so good at everything else, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of a waste to yeah. Well, and it also, the two examples they give of pets are a quasit, which is a tiny little uh, demon that flies around and can turn invisible, and a pseudo-dragon, which is a dragon the size of a chihuahua. So these don't necessarily seem like big hulking beasts that you're summoning. Uh, and yeah. I wonder if perhaps you use you have powers that enhance their form and <laughs> you know give them interesting magical abilities and possibly grow them into larger, more terrible demons or dragons or uh, whatever the case may be. But they don't seem like you're summoning a you know even like a tiger or something, which would yeah. could tear a guy's throat out. You know, it seems right. about well, as intimidating as a familiar uh, flying yeah, around in battle. The same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and maybe you'll have the chance to, you know, I mean, you start off and you've got to protect Charmander's tail from the rain because you don't want it to go out. And then he evolves into a Charizard and then eventually you've got a, a or a Charmeleon and then a Charizard, you know. And you then you can control him, right? Charizard. And then you release him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear a word from our sponsors, NobleKnight.com. Hello. Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness. Adventurers. We need a Noble Knight. Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot in a way only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha! I got to do something to help out. And we're back. And we're talking about the Bard. That's the next article Mike Merle's put out. The Bard's Tale from the 10th of this month, March. And he touches on the Bard a little bit and breaks down the way we're going to see it change. 
One of the first things he brings up is it's going to have full spells per day as if it were a wizard or cleric. So I think you're going to see all the way up to ninth level spells for the bard, uh, a lot of spell casting ability there. Uh, he also talks about bardic inspiration, um, which sort of replaces the bardic music ability. Uh, essentially, it seems like your bard can use music or just a pep talk to inspire someone to do better on a check or an attack or a saving throw. I actually, mechanically, that sort of makes sense to me because now your bard doesn't have to be loud and boisterously singing to inspire someone. Uh, you know, he gives the example of a bard pulling someone into a corner to give them a pep talk to, uh, you know, to sneak through a chamber that's on the other side of a door. Uh, and that sort of makes sense to me, although I sort of miss the musicality of the bard a little bit. And then he goes on to say the bard is going to uh, have a few more skill proficiencies than other classes, as one might expect it to, and also do well in skills that it is not proficient in. It's somewhere halfway between proficient and not proficient. Uh, so essentially the bard is going to, uh, it looks like it's spell selection, he sort of sums up with saying is going to include a lot of buffs and heals. Um, it's not going to have a lot of fireballs and things like that to throw, but it will make everybody uh, better. Ray, what do you think? Well, you're just saying you're going to kind of miss the music a little bit, but I think flavor-wise, you could very easily uh, turn the bardic inspiration into a musical thing. Uh, you were saying you could do a pep talk or be calling orders through battle, uh, or you could just say that the way that your guy does his inspiration is by playing music in battle, the way that you know bards classically do. Uh, I think the biggest change would just be that bards won't get pigeonholed into this one smooth-talking, guitar-playing guy. Uh, anymore. I think I'll have just a lot more freedom to kind of say, yes, I want to be a bard, but I want him to be a unique character that you haven't seen all through fantasy fiction. <laughs> Is it wrong I pictured a shirtless guy on a college campus with a guitar <laughs> and a Baby, bunch of young freshman women around him? <laughs> that's, that's not wrong at all, James. <laughs> In fact, I'm uh, doing this podcast right now from under a tree at <laughs> Dartmouth College. <laughs> Uh, that is, uh, definitely, uh, that, that's a great point. And I think you, you can do that. Um, but I also wonder if the bard giving an inspirational speech, if, if that's the sort of bard you choose to play, if that's going to get a little old, if every time before you go into a room, mm -hmm. a bard is giving a training day style. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, hands in everybody. And this is not for, you know, this is for God and for our wives and for the kids out there who can't get a meal. You know? He's a coach. But not this day. <laughs> right, exactly. So go in there and search for loot with your perception check, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, now I'm picturing Hulk Hogan as a bard doing like a pump-up speech before every match. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of spells? Rudy, I know earlier you were saying you have some particular opinions about uh, get the Bard's increased spellcasting ability. Yeah, I don't know, man. The Bard has changed so much from when it was initially introduced. I think Joe has some more insight into that, but it just feels weird to me to say the Bard is on the same level as the Wizard as far as magic is concerned. To me, a Bard's magic has always been kind of like sleight of hand stuff or minor minor things 
to say he's going to drop big spells in the middle of a fight, um, whether they be offensive or helping out your allies, seems, I don't know, it just seems strange to me at least. And, and I'm a guy that loves all this new stuff. But here I'm drawing a line, man. Bring back the old school bards. <laughs> well, and back it, with the crossbow. It does seem that they are, um, you know, taking a bit of a divergent path from their D and D next is going to be everything iconic by saying uh, the bard was always a jack of all trades, master of none, and we're trying to change that. Uh, Rudy, I don't think that if you're like watching a battle, this is just me guessing uh, that a bard is going to look nearly as powerful as a wizard. I think it's more just the fact that he'll be able to go from spell level 1 to spell level 9, uh, or whatever the exact number will be. Uh, so even if his ninth level doesn't look nearly as good as a wizard's ninth level spell, he'll at least be, you know, the spells will be stratified, stratified uh, as much as the wizard's spells are. Yeah, but it seems like there's going to be a major emphasis on the bard's magic, and that's what kind of mm-hmm. turns me off to it. That seems, to me, incorrect. I don't know. I get you. Yeah, and I I have to assume that if the bard is getting spells that go all the way to you know ninth level spell casting spells, um, that they you are gonna see something really big like a miracle or a wish at that ninth <laughs> level, um, because you've earned it by the time you get to at eighteenth, sixteenth level, whatever it is, and you earn those spells. I'm with Rudy in that I don't really like that they're pushing the bard towards spell casting because that was always my least favorite part of the bard, but uh. You know, if they are doing that, what I, I hope is that a lot of their spells are unique. Because they do mention, you know, hey, it's in between a cleric and a wizard. But then they talk about how, you know, their spells focus on trickery, words of power, and swaying emotions. So I really hope that they aren't just a, mostly a combination of wizard cleric spells with, you know, maybe one or two unique bard spells. And that their, their spell list is a lot of unique spells uh, just for them. Uh, I think that would make them way more interesting. Uh, just, you know, as, you know, a third primary caster. Yeah, and I would love to see spells that don't just tie into bardic abilities that are bard-only spells. You know, I'd love to see some cool, unique new spells that are bard-only spells that don't tie into bardic inspiration. You know, that are just yeah. a neat spell that the bard gets on its own. So, Joe, why don't you uh, take us through the, the old-school cleric a little bit? I know you all mailed you mailed us this PDF. I think you probably have some points related to that to make with this uh, newer bard that Mike Merles is showing us. Well, the interesting thing, and, and I'm looking at the second ed handbook right now, a player's handbook, and um, back then, bard was an optional uh, subclass of the rogue um, Seif was the main rogue class, but then Bard was like, a, you, you get some of the rogue abilities, but in order to get access to all this other stuff, you're not as good at the rogue stuff as the rogue is, and you're not as good at, at, at spells as the wizard is, and you're not as good at fighting as a fighter is, but you're kind of okay at all of those things, and the fact that you have that um, that variety is the reason that you're not specialized in any one of those things, and and that was kind of a, I mean, you, you need a decent decent stats in in like everything pretty much uh to be a uh to be a bard but um not not that second edition should necessarily be our our guideline for (laughs) anything that we do in the um but uh it, it was very much a here's something you could try but this is not core to the system this is a different thing this is a if, if you really have a, a character like this that you want to try, and they even give some historical and, and uh, um, 
some examples of uh, Will Scarlet and Homer and Alan Adele, and they, you know, there's there's options uh, of if you're really into this type of a person, here's a class you can play. But it it doesn't it's not essential to the uh, to D and D as a whole. It's not iconic to use the D and D next favorite word. Um, but <laughs> nowadays, uh, the 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 version that we're looking at in this article here, it feels like here's a I know I said this in one of the previous podcasts. It feels like this is a reaction to uh, a bunch of problems that they might have where they said, well, you know, there's only one healing class. Why don't we make a class that can heal? Well, you know, if we make another class that can heal, we've got to make it different. We should give it some spells, but people complain about that. So let's give it lots of spells. Um, Oh, and you know what? We put in a lot of skills that nobody ever trains and nobody ever takes, but that we might want to require in certain adventures. So let's make sure this class can also be half trained in all those skills. And it it just, it feels like it's filling a bunch of holes without necessarily being its own cool, unique thing. Interesting. And I think it's what you said earlier was it sort of has always been the Bard's job to fill some holes, you know? Yeah. Um, but but that's what made the bard very special, and now it does feel a little bit more like they are trying to have it fill a very specific hole. Um, yeah, like he, here's the official band aid to that flaw in our system, and he's a core class now. I think the response I would like to see is either a whole new class or somebody bringing back a class like the favored soul or the avenger or or mm-hmm. something like that, um, and give that healing ability. Uh, you know, and and make them warlockish. You know, give them give them abilities that are healing, and don't just give them healing spells. Maybe they heal through a different way, kind of like the paladin with the lay hands on ability, or or that kind of thing. Um, so you know, I, I, if that is the case that they are trying to create another healing class because they don't want to make it that there needs to be a holy cleric in every party. This is a uh, this is I don't know not necessarily the next best way to go about it. I think maybe I'm in the minority though because I actually when I read that the bard was going to get full spells, I kind of thought that was cool because I think one of the things that turns people off about the bard is that they, especially in this day and age where even a lot of role players still want to build a very effective character, now it seems like they have a chance uh, to go toe-to-toe with people who are min-maxing their characters and things like that. And I think that should at least be an option for the Bard in this next edition. And maybe giving full spells isn't the way to do that. Maybe there's some other ways to look at it. Because you're right, it does feel a little bit like a, well, this has worked for some other classes, so let's do it for this one, and it'll be great. You know, it, it doesn't stick true to that. Like, every class should feel unique and have its own mechanics that make it work for it, but still balances it with everything else. This does feel more like a quick fix. But but I was kind of excited to see that in that, like, oh, bards are going to be powerful and be able to to hold their own when it when it comes to it. Um, but again, is this going to make them overpowered as well? I don't know. Uh, one thing that I think comes off a little bit strange about the bards is the first like three paragraphs of this description they're talking about how the bard's always been the jack of all trades, uh, and it kind of goes <laughs> hand in hand with that phrase is master of none. Uh, and I think it's mm-hmm. you know what's the <laughs> it doesn't make sense to have a jack of all trades that is also just really good at this uh, any particular thing. Uh, so I think that they're 
by trying to do what you're saying, James, and I think it's a noble effort uh, to make a bard that's worth playing, I think that they're kind of at the same time undermining the beauty of a jack-of-all-trades. But uh, part of what they're saying as well is that he a jack of all trades is really cool in his own isolated story, but put him in a big party full of people that are power gaming and very strong, and he's going to kind of come off as a nobody. Uh, and that's what they were trying to overcome. And I think it could be very interesting where the bard might only be very strong if he's in a large, diverse party. Uh, depending on how the bardic inspiration works, you might need very good conduits for your power essentially so if everything you're doing is a buff you might need strong players to rely upon so the bard might be better in a party than he would be at all uh, on his own or in a small party <laughs> yeah i mean it does but it really just seems like ray instead of you know making him a jack of all trades they're just shifting his competent ability in combat into spells so, you know, he's not really a jack-of-all-trades. I mean, they don't mention combat at this at all. So mm-hmm. maybe this bard's going to be as weak as a wizard, completely, you know, if someone's in his face, he's done. Uh, yeah, even though maybe. they do show that picture of a ready-to-fight <laughs> gnome. Huh. Well, uh, he's you know, holding it, a bunch of weapons anyway. <laughs> and it'd be yeah. interesting to see how, you know, are they going to be absolutely useless uh, with a weapon? I, I feel also in reading the article, and granted this article is not 100% of what the class will be, but I feel like it's lost the story ability. I mean, yeah, you can give pep talks, but one of the things that's always sort of been a, a core thing for bards in, in, in the worlds that I've played in has been that they're the ones who keep the stories. They're the reason that heroes fight so that they can be legends and that bard will be telling their story. And and there's no more, there's no more story aspect. When they did... Um, in in fourth ed, when they they had the sort of um, the essentials kind of bard, the scald come out. There was all these, you know, you can always get a, a place at an inn in a town that that wants to hear your stories, or you can always find you know people that will want to help you out because they like the fact that you're going to bring them tales of what's going on. I mean, you're, you're effectively the internet of the the D and D world, and and uh, that that feels like it's it's going to get lost in this. Oh well, they're all they're casting all these spells and they're doing all this other stuff, and 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 I think that was at least for me one of the things that made bards interesting was the fact that they were the ones who defined what happened. They were the they were the historians, even you know. And if you wanted to, you could just go with your party and kill a bunch of goblins, and that's it. And you go back to the inn, and nobody cares. Or you go back to the inn, and they hail you as heroes, and you get free dinner because the bard talks about the epic battle that you had. And, and describes it in such a way that, that makes it sound awesome to all of these peasants who don't get character levels or hit points or things, um, you know, who don't go off adventuring. And, and uh, I really hope that isn't lost in the final version of whatever this bard uh, turns into, uh, because that's always felt like a really important... Uh, I mean, the, the, the name of the article is The Bard's Tale, and I want the bard to be able to tell tales. Yeah, I absolutely agree with Joe that it feels like they're stepping away from the definition of bard. Um, I think if you were to say this class that has been outlined is called something else, no one would be like, ah, that sounds kind of like a bard. There isn't as much emphasis on the storytelling aspect. Yeah, you can buff your allies. But, I mean, this could be a warlord, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. He he has a lot of things similar to the 4th edition warlord. 
Well, and it's it's funny because the article, uh, you're right, doesn't really cover the word. I don't think it uses the word storyteller or story for that matter, really at all. And he does compare the bard to a rogue. He says... The idea of a clever, resourceful hero with quick wit and quicker reflexes is hard to step away from. Though the rogue captures many of the archetypes that those traits bring to mind, there's something about the panache and charisma that a bard can bring to play that makes the class so appealing. I mean, I think panache and charisma are things that a lot of rogues have in spades. And if what we're talking about is the shirtless dude playing guitar wooing women, there's plenty of rogues who can do that as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, the story aspect is a huge part of of what makes the bard the bard, and what sets them apart from other classes. And it would be nice if they were focusing on that aspect and the lore. I think the difference between the bard and the rogue is really that the bard is an artist, right? In some on some level, the bard is an artist, Ray. Yeah, you guys have convinced me. I say we send them back to wizards and just say we don't want it. Send us something else. <laughs> well, look at look at our look at our own our own history, our own world. Who is the one person that everyone refers to as the bard? It's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And what did he do? He told stories. Um, I just want to mention that uh, the bard's tale is the reason I became a DM. Uh, there was a computer game in the early '90s called The Bard's Tale. And then there was Bard's Tale 2, and then they came out with the Bard's Tale construction set, which was basically just tools to create your own Bard's Tale video games with the same mechanics and whatnot, but it was all, it it was a world creator, it was an adventure creator, and you could make dungeons and monsters and all sorts of other things, and that's the reason I started uh, really getting into DMing was because I played this, and I was like, wow, this is really awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's very so. cool. I think there's a lot of video games that uh, have inspired that by bringing in dungeon builders. But uh, the Bard's Tale is the first that I know of. I know Neverwinter Nights allowed you to do that as well. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Excite Bike guys, Excite Bike. <laughs> oh, this is true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could build your own track. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. The ultimate dungeon, <laughs> the streets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this roundtable. Rudy, where can people find you? Hey, how about following me on Twitter, at Rudy Basso, R-U-D-Y-E-S-S-O. Or, if you need to laugh, check out my sketch comedy group, CowsComeHomeComedy.com. Ray Fallon's in it. Hey, Ray Fallon. Yeah, I sure am. Hey, Rudy. Ray Fallon, where can (laughs) people find you? Uh, Well, obviously, if you go outside the dormitories, you'll see me under the tree. Uh, Other than that... (laughs) You can find me on Facebook.com slash Gold Duck. I'll see you there. Have you, uh, since your last offer of Facebook.com slash Gold Duck, have you gotten any new friends? Messages? <laughs> I don't think so, James, no. All right, so find Ray Fallon on Facebook, people. Let's do this. Uh, <laughs> Joe, what about you? Where can folks find you? Wow. Well, I, I do the Twittery thing on uh, at, at Joe Lestowski, although not as much there because I don't understand a lot of what goes on there. I'm old. Uh, I also uh, do the What the Average Joe Thinks uh, reviews of gaming products at modern-myths.com and I frequently also contribute at uh, dungeonsmaster.com which covers a lot of D&D encounters and uh, other DM-related stuff. 
That's true. And guys, if you have a question or topic you'd like for us to discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso or any of these guys who have just given you their contact information. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website at thetomeshow.com. We will listen to you because we will be flattered that anyone is listening to us. Also, a, a quick shameless plug for me. Check out my new blog, all about the 5th edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. That's dot M-E. You Alex, check it out. It's awesome. Ah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yes, Miss Talk. Ah, yeah. Check out the Miss Talk <laughs> article. It terrified Rudy. <laughs> Uh, okay, everybody. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Ray, Alex, and Rudy. Alex Basso cannot be found on the internet. Also, uh. <laughs> many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable. 